morning, everybody. We're going to get started. When we talk about the third sector, the independent sector, if it's a service that the government could or should be providing, but then decides not to, and that's where the nonprofits step in to pick up the slack. So, I mean, you see it, whether it be with public health, with education, with refugees, it's consistently the story of if there's a social need and the government's not meeting that need, then the sort of the safety net is nonprofits. But nonprofits don't have tons of wealth and money and resources, so then if they get more burden, they're strained and they're spread thin. We're going to be talking about strategic planning today, but before we do that, I'm going to just briefly go over the board proposals for you guys. And this is a question that people had about the boards um, responding in one voice, or what does that mean, or that, that would sort of lack critical thinking or creativity. And it's when Professor Gaisley had brought this up, that the board speaks in one voice. It's not saying that they're all lockstep in making the same decision. It's that when the board does make a decision about something, they respond in one voice. It's sort of like the Supreme Court. When the Supreme Court makes a decision, even though they had dissenters with a particular decision, the Supreme Court makes a decision with one voice. Like, this is the decision we've made. Or even better, think of your parents. You know, when your parents make a decision of, can you go out tonight? And they say no. And maybe one parent was like, oh, I think they should go out. And the other parent was like, well, no, they shouldn't go out. The parents respond in this voice. Uh, even though they might have differences of opinions. That's just to highlight that when boards are to have unique positions and perspectives, but then when they make decisions, it's a unified decision. Okay, so a lot of you, when you're talking about who you're going to recruit or what the composition of your of your board is going to be, you'd say, well, I want someone with lots of nonprofit experience in the nonprofit sector. But in reality, most board members of nonprofits don't have much experience with the nonprofit sector. In fact, like if you think about your position and what you're learning from this class, the vast majority of people have no understanding of what a board is or what the nonprofit laws are or all the different nuances of the nonprofit sector. And that's just sort of a reality that the people on your board aren't going to have much knowledge of what it means to run a nonprofit. And so when I talked about what's your plan for developing them, it's not like developing them to be a better business person. It's more developing them to help your nonprofit succeed, help them be a successful board member, because they typically don't know what it means to be a board member. They don't know the laws. They don't know duties of care, duties of loyalty, and all those aspects of it. All of that will be foreign language to them. It's important to understand that your board members will know very little about nonprofits. They're not typically not going to have the experience that you would expect or knowledge that you would assume. And then the other aspect is that the board members aren't these like uber volunteers <coughs> that you have, you know, commit 20 hours a week to working for your organization. That's not the role of the board. That's what employees or volunteers do. The board, and as you think about the responsibilities of the board, it's general oversight of the organization as a whole. It's not the day-to-day -day operations. And a lot of these sort of strayed down the path of, well, let's let them have, let's have them do this and this and this and this, and you're going to lose your board members. You're going to be like, you know, I didn't commit to that. What they committed to was sort of providing broad oversight to the organization, making sure that it's sort of staying on course with the mission, making sure that it's overall well-resourced and run financially in a financially responsible way. So then the different types of conflicts of interest, in the proposals you wrote about one type of conflict of interest, and you sort of 
our conflict of interest policy is if a family member is going to be applying for a job, then the board member has to leave the board. And so you focused on one little thing and then you had a very extreme response. And in conflict of interest, it's just more broad. There isn't just one type of conflict of interest. And a better way to sort of frame it is whenever a board member's personal interests are competing with the interests of the organization. So it's not like if a board member owns a bank and the organization needs to take out a loan, the board member has to leave. That is a conflict of interest, but that's just one narrow, narrow slice of it. And so when you're talking about your conflict of interest policy, you need to frame it more broadly of when any board member's personal interests are competing with or in conflict with the interests of the organization, here's how we're going to address it. And so it's better to see it more broadly versus like picking one little example and thinking, okay, I've covered our conflict of any type of conflict of interest. And then on the back side of that, some of you were pretty hard board members. They're not out to create any personal gains and benefits. It more so just happens. Like all of a sudden on the board of this organization and they realize, uh-oh, we have a conflict of interest here because, you know, my daughter is applying for this position. And it wasn't like they sit, you know, they strategize, I'm going to get on the board so that I can get my daughter hired. But it's just when, when you have all these networks going on, these conflicts are going to come up. They're not bad people for doing it. And so then you don't punish them. You don't say, okay, you can't be on the board anymore. It's just, it's, you think about, well, how can we navigate this in a way that it doesn't look bad for the organization? And, and so in a sense, the daughter can still be hired. It's just, if anyone asks questions, we say, oh yeah, well, that board member wasn't part of the decision-making process for that decision. They're still on the board. They can still be a part of the board and still do all the other things. It's just, when we were making decisions about this particular position, we asked that board member to recuse themselves, you know, sort of step off. It's just like a judge. If there's a judge and there's a case coming before the judge, the judge has a personal interest that is directly related to the case that's being tried, that judge has a responsibility to say, you know, it's in the best interest of the judicial system for me to recuse myself from this particular case. So again, it isn't like, oh, we got a conflict of interest, kick the person off the board. It's more, here's how we're gonna address it. And usually it's pretty simple, just remove them from deciding on that particular position. Basically, here's, here's the function and the role of board members. You make sure we stay on task with our mission, you make sure that we're financially sound, and you give oversight. Oh, okay, yeah, so this is related to the conflict of interest, that board members often have vocations that are related to your organization. So some of you are saying that you, know, you weren't gonna have a board member who had any ties to the field that you were working in. And I was like, well, chances are, you know, if, if you're doing a music nonprofit, the person on the board is going to have some interest in music or have some ties to music or marketing or, or something like that. So, again, the, the conflict of interest, it's okay that there is conflict of interest. It's just more it needs to be addressed appropriately. So you don't say, okay, we don't want to have anyone with any ties to the music industry because there could be a conflict of interest. It's more, if you have a music-related nonprofit, you want people with ties to the music industry. It's just to make sure you address any conflicts appropriately such that there isn't 
people saying, well, gosh, that seems suspicious, or that seems unethical what they're doing. Okay, strategic planning. This is one that some people absolutely love, and even the strategic plan and the strategic planning process, and other people dislike it tremendously. It's just like, oh my goodness, this is the most boring topic. It's like tax law or finances. There's certain people that really gravitate towards it because it's a very detailed, algorithmic type of thing. It's very programmatic, like you just go through the steps. Some people thrive on that, and other people are like, oh, it's too constraining. It's like, if I'm put into a box, and I have to follow all these steps and rules. So that's why you're on the team. Because some of you on the team are gonna say, oh, I get this, and you're gonna be on it, and you're gonna walk through the strategic plan. And other people are gonna be like, great, I'll give some input, but that's not my thing. And if you think of strategic planning, going back, the larger topic is strategy. And now, now strategy, I think, appeals to a lot more people. Or you may be a person, like you think of games that you play, some of you really thrive on strategy. Maybe not strategic planning, but like the idea of how can I accomplish the thing I'm trying to do. And if you think about strategy, it's a plan of action designed to achieve a goal. And so strategy really applies to any area of life where you have a goal, something you want to accomplish, and then in your mind you start formulating a strategy. And so if you think in your, your own personal life of, of some sort of goal that you have, like whether it's education goals or financial goals or, or dating goals or health goals, can you think of an example where you came up with a strategy to accomplish your goal? And I really like to play Uh-huh. Like, I think the most important part of that game is strategy and like being able to like watch what's going on, like develop other guys around you mm -hmm. and like I just really like when I win based on like, me watching like what cards were played and then Yeah, so your your mind naturally goes towards strategy, like where you're, you're assessing the other players and patterns that you're seeing. It might involve counting cards and sort of saying, okay, my desired goal is this. And so there's multiple pathways to this and some won't end in winning. So what's the best pathway or strategy? And, and so there's this calculation. And actually, some people don't think that way. That's why some people don't really like games, competitive games, because they just want you know, to play Uno, and where it's Uno set up that you can't have strategy because it's random. So yeah, that's an example. Did you have yeah. one, an example of a, a strategy time? In art, um, we have to do like figure drawing, and sometimes they'll only give us 10 seconds, mm -hmm. and you have to get on the paper as like as much of like the essence of the pose as possible. Mm -hmm. So people have different strategies. Some people will just draw like the action line, uh -huh. and um, some people will draw kind of like a technique called the beam, or just different techniques. So just like different strategies just to do it as quickly as possible, but get the essence of the, the movement. Sure, and so then you have to sort of do quick thinking to say, okay, I have limited resources, limited time, and I have a desired goal and outcome that I'm wanting to achieve, so what plan of attack am I gonna initiate with that? And so again, art, I mean, these are great, there's multiple examples. So, and, and there's some people who, your personality type is just to jump right in and start doing it, uh, and you don't stop and think about, well, actually, what would be the most strategic way to do this? And, you know, sometimes when I think of 
projects that I work on with my kids, I'm impatient, so I just jump in and say, well, let's start building this fort, and then I'm halfway into it, and I'm like, oh, I didn't really think about what, you know, if I do this part first, then I won't be able to do this part, and so I should have thought through a better strategy for building it. So, like, a strategy for me is that I get consumed with email correspondence, and, and email is sort of this easy thing for me to gravitate towards as, uh, as a way to procrastinate, and so my strategy for that is I don't open up email until like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Because if I open it up at 9 a.m., then I could spend hours and not do the main things that I need to do. And so my strategy, because email is this big time sink for me, is to not even open it until 3 p.m. So do you have an example? Yeah, well, I just have my bed from Ikea. And if anyone's like built Ikea furniture, you know what a pain in the is. So I had it at one house and I moved and we lost the instructions. So we just had all these pieces of wood and we had to like figure out a strategy, like, um, to, like yeah. put the pieces where we thought they would go. Uh-huh. It was like a three hour process, but we got it together. So you succeeded though. Yeah. That's good. That's a perfect example where, you know, it's nice if you have a guidebook of, okay, here's how you're going to do it. But generally in life, you don't have an Ikea guidebook. You're just given all this random stuff and it says, come up with a plan of action to accomplish the goal of building the product. So probably the, the best way that I can think of this, of the importance of strategy is differentiating between random activity and coordinated action. And, and sort of like what you're saying with the Ikea parts, it could have been just random activity. Like you just have all these random pieces and it's just chaotic in a sense. Or you can have sort of coordinated action where it's like orchestrated in a, in a systematic way. And so what strategy does is it, it helps you to reduce <coughs> random activity, especially think about like an organization. Like an organization could be full of just random activity. Like you're doing lots of stuff, but you're spinning your wheels and you're actually not accomplishing your goal. And so where strategy comes in is it says, okay, here's your goal. And what is the steps you need to take to accomplish your goal. And some people are really good at that, and some people are not. And so my son plays basketball. He's on a, in a sense, a, a little league basketball team. And my wife is, is his coach. And my wife is excellent at strategy. And, and if you think about it in terms of a sport, someone who's good at strategy, like a good coach, doesn't look at each individual player. More so, they look at the entire court, and they look at the movement, sort of like Euchre. Like, you're not just looking at your, your hand, but you're thinking, okay, who are the other players, what's been played, what's been done in the past, and you're able to sort of pull yourself back and say, okay, how could I have all of these players working together in an orchestrated way to accomplish the goal? Whereas people who are less strategically oriented say, what's my responsibility? What do I got to do? And that's good, but if it's not coordinated with the other people, you limit your effectiveness. And so, so my wife is coaching my son's Little League basketball team. And when we talk about random activity, if you watch third graders <coughs> playing basketball, that's random activity. Like it's 
chaos. This court, I mean, like there's just mobs of people, like the ball goes over here and then you have 10 kids running over here to the ball. And then like someone goes to the shoot and you have like four other people kind of like, you know, crowding around the person. And also third graders don't usually get strategy. That's why random activity and chaos happens. This also happens in organizations but it's amplified amongst third graders. So my wife sort of is working with them in practice to help them think through strategy. And so, you know, the goal is to make a basket. You know, and, and so, but there's multiple ways to do it. You can do it through random activity and just hope it goes in, or you can have a strategy. And so, in practice, they work on this basic move of sort of the pick, and then the player goes around and grabs the basket. And so, my wife came up with five different plays that she taught the kids, five strategies. And then the team, in theory, is supposed to execute the strategy, and I thought, at his game, um, this was a couple months ago, and you know, my son's dribbling up the court, and you, you'll see him, he'll call out the play that they're gonna do, and then you'll watch the coordinated action. Now the spoiler alert is they executed the play perfectly, but my son didn't make the basket. But still, the point you'll see is if you have in your mind this picture of third graders playing basketball, random activity chaos, and see what the benefits of having a strategy can do for third graders or for an organization. So we'll get to watch the ESPN highlights of um, my son, John. When you watched that, I mean, what was, to me, what was so cool was, you know, he's dribbling up the court and he says, one! And so the rest of the players know, okay, we're gonna do play one. And then out of nowhere, you see one of his team members come up and get in position, plant his feet, and then Josh just drives right around him. And so that's unprecedented in third grade basketball. It just doesn't happen. So when I saw it happen, I was like, oh, this is like, this is amazing that my wife was able to instill in them this idea of strategy. And the team did much better, not because they were athletically more talented, they just had a plan. And so I want you to think about the strategy is just, the goal is to accomplish your mission. And so strategy helps you get there. And so when we think of, of strategy and strategic planning, it's this idea of strategic thinking and strategic learning. And, and for you, um, when you think about developing strategy, what are some characteristics? Like, what are things that you would need to think about if you're gonna be developing strategy? Not specific details, but what does strategic thinking entail? Yeah. Considering your environment. Okay. External factors. Okay, yeah. So thinking, okay, what are all the factors involved in my organization, associated with my organization? That's a good one. Yeah. Possible outcomes of each strategy. Okay, yeah. So what is sort of, if we go down this road, what would be the outcomes, positive or negative, Eric? Well, today we like predicting how much it costs would be. Okay, so yeah, what are the resources that we need, not only financial resources, <coughs> but human power, just sort of big picture, what would we need, yeah. I just the time and what things to happen. Okay, so the timeline. You know, is our goal something that we need to have happen in three months or in three years? And that will affect the actual strategy that you implement, so the timeline. Other things that come to mind with, with strategic thinking. A good example that I always think of is you think of a football game, you have the quarterback and you have the offensive coordinator. And so the quarterback's on the field and like he's just in it and he has a certain perspective, but it's actually limited because of where he's positioned on the field. And then you have the offensive coach who's on the sideline and they actually have a better vantage point, but you'll notice they also have a headset on, and that headset is connected to the person way on the 
top of the stadium in the press box or the coach's box. And what they're doing is they're talking and it's that person way up there who's able to see everything and he can communicate to the offensive coordinator of like, okay, here's what we need to do to execute our play strategically. <coughs> and the reason why they're most effective is because they can see the entire field. They can see all the movement of all the different players. And so strategic thinking and learning involves sort of pulling way, way back and looking at the big picture versus, you know, the quarterback, he has skills and he has abilities, but he has limited perspective. And so you need to be able to pull back to see the big picture. And so if for any of you, with regard to strategic plans, this is what we're gonna do for this section of your nonprofit project. But I'm curious if any of you have been in an organization that has a strategic plan where you're like, oh yeah, we had one of those. Like anyone can remember where the organization had some sort of strategic plan that you were aware of? Yeah. Uh, for TEDx and the University, or right now we're kind of in the process of establishing a strategic plan for recruiting talent into the organization. Uh, okay. In the past, we've done it kind of like whoever's kind of like a TED head, you know, loves TED. Yeah. Join the organization, we'll fit you into some team, mm -hmm. and we'll see what you can do best. But that's not that feasible for getting like the most talented individuals. Sure. So we're looking into reaching out to like department heads and faculty, uh -huh. ask them who their like some of their best students are. Sure. And then talk to some of the best students to see if they're even interested in TED. Uh-huh. Sure. So instead of just random activity of like we'll just if you're willing to go do it, it's more like, okay, how can we think about this in a more systematic way? And in the end that will probably produce better outcomes. Mm -hmm. A random activity can work, but if you have sort of a coordinated action, your rate of success is going to be higher. Other people were any type of organization where you're like, oh yeah, they had a strategic plan. So the idea, like I was working with an organization a couple weeks ago and they showed me their strategic plan. <coughs> or they sent it to me, and it was 85 pages long. And I was like, oh, you're killing me. Like, how am I gonna get through this 80, like, how is anybody gonna get through this 85 page strategic plan? Like, it's comprehensive, but it's also mind-numbing, because it's like, it's just like if my wife went to the kids' basketball team and said, okay, here's our playbook, and we have 38 different plays. That isn't gonna work, but she did, you know, five plays. Even that was pushing it. So a strategic plan isn't necessarily this end all comprehensive like cover every detail it should be able to be boiled down into a small document even what you guys are going to submit is basically that one page sheet of your strategic plan so your strategic plan should be able to fit all on one sheet if it starts getting into multiple pages then it's it's not an effective plan and what we're going to be doing is what's called a strategic planning process and so the strategic plan is a process not just a final product and I'm curious if any of you, like with your organization or with other organizations where you've actually been a part of the strategic planning process, like if any of you helped an organization develop a strategic plan or develop a strategy, do you have an example? Well, yes, currently my friend and I are working on a business called Daily Roller. So we just work with independent brands and try to help market and promote them uh -huh. as an independent brand ourselves. So like right now we're strategically planning how to get rid of this inventory that we have right now. It's called like Walton's USA. It's my friends and frat brothers uh, clothing line. So uh -huh. we're just figuring out ways. I made a promotional video for it. Huh. So that's like one of the first things we've done. Sure. Like 
get it on the website and want to host something on campus where we can like physically distribute it to students. So okay, so you you have excess inventory, you have inventory, and you're kind of like, okay, what's our strategy for how to get this out? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Over the summer, I worked for the YMCA, and every week we would plan out like a weekly planner, basically uh -huh. for uh, the campers that came through. So we would just basically like strategically create different activities for them to do for the time span that they were there every day. So I think that's part of it. What was your experience of a strategic planning process? I suck at it. <laughs> so you would say, well, let's just let the kids show up. Yeah, that's normally how I am. I remember we were separating into the different groups and we had to uh, separate into which person. Yeah, the different personality types. And I'm most definitely just the type of person to think on my feet for it right away. Like, I don't like to strategically plan out different steps or things that you do ahead of time. Normally, I'm just like, okay, here they are, and let's just think on our feet. And most of the times, I felt like that was most effective because uh, there were a lot of times where the plans or, or the events that we had planned out for them, they didn't enjoy it. So mm -hmm. most of the time, I was just like, you know, let me something that they probably would enjoy so instead of singing boring little camp songs sometimes I would make like a like a cool dance out of it or something uh -huh. or something that was trending that they sure. liked yeah, yeah. and the kids loved it and I felt like that was that was effective for me sure. yeah. and most effective for the for just the organization in general. So. Yeah so in, in some ways that even ties into it that the strategic plan the end all isn't just having a product and being bound to that product but it is a process and you need to be nimble with it and say oh, this aspect of our strategy isn't working we need to adapt it or revise it and stuff. The benefit of sort of the process and so as you're doing it as a team it's sort of an aligning process so if you have a team you're developing a strategic plan it forces you to go back to your mission your vision your values what you want to accomplish it sort of has you specify what are your goals and how you're going to accomplish them and if you have people on your team who are like wait I thought our goal was this and other people are saying well no I thought our goal was this it'll force you to sort of work through that versus if you just do it spontaneously it'll sort of be the loudest voice in the room will dictate where you go and what you do and you won't have as many people on board with you so it'll be like okay well this is Bryson's thing he's just doing it versus this is the good bar and this is our organization and, and you can represent it and sort of talk about here's what our mission is and here's what our strategy is for accomplishing that so the the process is actually a valuable thing for the organization it's good to have a strategy but even going through the process with your team is important. And who, who are the people that should be involved in the strategic planning process? So if you think of your organization, who should be, you know, you have your teams, but if you're gonna start your organization, who are the people that should be building the strategic plan? Basically the heads of your departments. Okay, so the department heads. What other people should be involved? Yeah. The board members. The board members, okay, yeah. Why should the board members do this? So that they have an idea of where you're trying to get to so okay. they can make sure you're staying on track with the mission. Yeah. You know, they can give valuable input. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're 
sort of working through different aspects of your plan, they can say, oh, well, you need this, or I have these connections, and I can help you get this or accomplish that. Any other people that should be a part of the, the planning process? Any resources that you're using, like within that community? Okay. So, if, say, another organization or any type of business that you might be working with or person that you're uh -huh. getting resources from, yeah. they should play a part, a small part, but at least so you know that they would be able to fit in your strategic sure. plan yeah. accordingly. Yeah, so if you have any organization that you're collaborating with or if you're collaborating with the local government, having them somewhat involved in the process or even sort of saying, well, what's your strategic plan for community initiatives? And sort of making seeing, making sure that there's a good melding of the two if you're if you're going to be collaborating with them. So the strategic planning process it isn't something where you get the one person who's good at strategy and they go into their room and just sort of crank it out and they say, okay, we've got our strategic plan. That would really defeat the purpose of creating a strategic plan. The strategic plan is sort of an opportunity for you to bring your whole organization or key players together and say, okay, let's, let's all get on the same page as far as where we're going as an organization. So strategic planning, the way that I've seen it described is that it begins with where the organization is. So this is perfect for you guys in your project. It's like, where are we right now? What is sort of our current reality for our organization and for the community that we're working in? And then it defines where the organization wants to be. So here's where we are and here's where we want to be. And it's all done. It develops a plan to get there. So again, it, it starts with where are we? Where do we want to go? And how are we going to get there? What's the plan for getting there? And, and doing that in the context of the organization's mission and the realities of its environment. So in some ways, it's, you know, I think again with basketball, my son, where are we? Well, we're, we're moving up the court. Where do we want to go? We want to get the ball into the hoop. And so what's our plan for doing that? Well, we're going to move uh, our players around in different positions to get there. And you know, it has to be done in the context of the mission. It's like we want to win. In the current environment is there's rules to the game. There's a court that we need to play on. We have a ball. It can apply to whatever context that you're in. And for this case, it's going to be your organization. Where is your organization? Where does it want to go? And developing a plan to get there. I'll put these up on Canvas so you don't have to get it all written down. And so we talked about a process that produces a product and who's involved. We're going to go through basically parts of, of this sheet. And so there's seven different sections of it, but we're going to focus on two main ones. So I'm going to walk you through each of them so that you sort of have a, have a sense of how they all fit together. This is what you would do if whatever organization that you're a part of and they're wanting to sort of develop a strategic plan. This is a process. Oftentimes organizations would do like a day-long off-site retreat where they'll go through the strategic planning process. And now you can sort of see why maybe some people would be like, oh my goodness, we're going to spend a whole day going through this sheet, like how boring. But if it's done well, it can really bring alignment to the organization. And then at the end, everyone will sort of walk away saying, okay, yeah, we, we have a real plan of action. Like we're actually going to accomplish our mission. And so just like basketball practice, you know, when they're going through the plays and have to do it over and over and over again, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to do this. I just want to play basketball. 
I don't want to do these plays. You know, because for them to actually get onto the court and execute the play the way they did took lots of practice. It didn't just happen. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, let's just go out there and yeah, we'll do a, a pick and roll type of move. It was actually, they had to practice it and work on it. So first part of the strategic plan is, number one, you've actually done all of this. So you've actually completed the first part, but it's basically, where are we going? And it's your mission, which you've already done. It's your vision, you know, what would the world look like once we accomplish our mission? And it's your values. What are the qualities that will guide our behavior and decisions? So, in a sense, if you look at the sheet, the direction, number one, is sort of the top thing. Where are you going? You know, what are you wanting to accomplish as an organization? And then the whole strategic plan is the thing that helps you to get there. So that's what we're going to be walking through today. First one we're going to dig more deeply into is this idea of goals. Like, what are the actual goals? of your organization. So you have your mission, but you don't have specific goals. And, and a lot of times, we don't accomplish things because we don't know exactly what we're aiming for. We don't have a goal. And so what this step is, is it actually forces you to define your goals for your organization. And there's a, a really good acronym called the SMART Goals, and it's basically an acronym of S-M-A-R-T that helps you actually to write and come up with really good goals that are accomplishable. And so the first part of a good goal is to be specific about what you want to accomplish. And then the second one is M, measurable. Select goals that can be measured. So if you just say, you know, I want people to be happier or healthier, like it's, it's hard to measure happiness or healthiness. Whereas if you say, we want to, you know, make sure everyone has a blood pressure within this range, that's a measurable thing. Or we want to make sure that everyone has an income that's above the poverty line. And so there's something you can clearly measure. You can tell what their income is and you know what the poverty line is and so you can measure it. And so make sure as you're coming up with a goal, say, is this something that can actually be measured versus just something that sounds good? And then the next part is that attainable. So you want to pick a goal that you can actually accomplish versus if you want, if you say your goal is, I want world peace. Well, that could be accomplished way, 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 way down the road, but why not pick something that's actually, you know, we want all of our people in our program to perform and say you're the music education one, we want them to do one public performance of a concert. Like that's a goal that's specific, it's measurable, and it's actually attainable. Like you could actually see each kid perform in a musical performance. And then also relevant goals. So you want to make sure that your goal is actually related to your mission of what you're wanting to accomplish. So it's funny, a lot of times people come up with goals, they're great goals but they don't actually relate to the organization what the organization is trying to accomplish. So make sure that they're relevant to what you're actually wanting to do. And then the last one, T, is time bound. So you need to have specific dates of when you want to accomplish it. Like you need to say, you know, by the end of the year, I want everyone to do this. Or within the first three months, we want to accomplish this. And so you need to put some sort of time on it because if you don't put a time on it, then you're not really held accountable. Like I can't say, well, you know, if Cameron has a certain goal, but he doesn't give me, he says, I'm gonna hand in my assignment, but he doesn't tell me when, at what point do I go to you and say, when are you gonna hand it in? Whereas if you say, Professor Fulton, I'll have it to you by Friday, then once Friday comes up, I can go to you and say, well, where's the assignment? Whereas if you sort of leave it open-ended, I'm like, well, is Cameron, when's he thinking of handing it in? It's on 
unknown. So it's really critical when you think of goals to have a be have a specific deadline or time bound. Now it's okay if you don't get it. Like if, if you don't get the assignment in by Friday, that's okay. But at least then we can go on Friday and say, well, what happened? It didn't come in at this time. What stopped you from doing it? Like it actually gives you a chance to evaluate what's going on. So I wanted you to break up into your groups and come up with three goals for your organization. Break up into your teams, and I want you to come up with three goals for your organization that fit this criteria of being a smart goal. So break up and you have about five minutes to create these goals. Okay, so what are, what are some of the goals that you came up with? In one group, one team give a goal that you came up with that you think fits these criteria of being a smart goal. Who has a goal? Cameron. We want to market five different independent brands by the end of this or by the end of 2016. Okay, so market five brands by end of the year 2016 okay so how do you guys think that this does in turn so they want to market their what's the name of your organization expand the brand, expand the brand. so <coughs> one of goals is to market five brands by the end of year 2016 how do you guys think it does in meeting the smart criteria yeah maybe measurable okay good in what way like just because there's nothing that says how you're going to assess uh-huh the success of marketing by okay yeah. Sorry, that's a Yeah, Haley? Yeah, I mean, so there's no real, like, criteria for what marketing means. Like, you can market something, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're reaching a broad audience. Okay. Like, getting information out there. So it's it's a little unclear what what it means to market. So, and I would say, you know, given that your, your first stab at a goal, this is excellent. Like, the fact that you have five brands, so in a sense, that's measurable, and then by end of year 2016 is, you know, it's a clear timeline. Yeah. Do you want these to be broad, or do you need us to say, like, do a poster five successful brands? Because if we keep it broad, you can meet your goal. Yeah. Like, why would we narrow it down? I'm well, wondering. you're saying that if you have a, a wimpy goal versus a... Right, like, maybe it's not, like, specific, like, on, like, what makes it successful. Like, if we start really nitpicking, then, like, that would just be, like, a separate goal, wouldn't it? Yeah, and so for this, I'm fine with whatever goal you pick. So it can be a highly specific goal that's in a very short period, or it can be one that's more of a long-term. So you're gonna, I think I said, you come up with three goals, and so you can pick them at whatever level you want. But they have to be relevant and like, it's smart goals, yeah. But as far as big goals or small goals, I'm not as concerned about, yeah. I was just gonna kinda answer you with um, maybe part in the reading that has to do with objectives. Uh-huh. And so like with the goal kind of being that overarching broad idea, but then you're filling all these objectives in to fill, uh, to match whether it would be specific or measurable or attainable, uh-huh. right? So yeah, and so again, this would be more broad. The idea is to come up with smart goals because we tend to not even have any goals. And so I'm not gonna grade you or worry about is that a small goal or a big goal? It's more sort of, let's have some goals and let's accomplish them and if we can accomplish the small ones then that will help us do the big ones yeah i think it's only like not clarified because our mission is a multi-board okay because like 
in our mission, it clarifies like what types of services and marketing we do. Uh-huh. So I think by saying marketing in five brands, it just like consolidates the different services that we offer rather than having to explain like provide videography, photography, like advertisement. Like that would be too broad as one goal rather than just saying marketing. Well, and so the strike against this is that it's unclear what marketing is. And so I, I would actually push you to think of sort of different aspects of marketing that are measurable. So because you're, you're right in that, well, how do we know at the end of 2016 whether a particular brand has been marketed? Because there's a broad range of effective marketing. And you know, there's very wimpy marketing and then excellent marketing. And so you need something more measurable of like, how how do I know, how will you know when a brand has been marketed? And so you need to decide, you know, what that criteria will be. You can determine that, but it needs to be a part of your goal so that at the end of 2016, you can say, okay, this brand has been marketed. It's met these criteria. So another goal we're going to do, we'll do one more goal of uh, one of your organizations. Yeah. So one of ours was like the number of students that would move on to college, like the schools that we make. Okay. There's two neighboring colleges in Lake City, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So it'd be count and, and the number of students who are involved in your program that go to college. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that that's a that's a great one as well. It's like it's relevant to your organization. It's measurable in the sense of you know the students that are going to be involved. You could actually have a list of all the students involved and at the end of the year you can say which ones are going to college and which ones are not and you would want to say so the goal though would be we want like 50% of our students to go on to college so the goal isn't just counting but it's you actually have a goal like we want 80% of our students or or we want 20 students to go on to college within the first year you know so you guys are along the right tracks of thinking through you know can I measure this when is it going to be accomplished? How do I know when I've accomplished it? So and that's where like going to college is a little bit, is more measurable than marketed because you know when someone goes to college. Whereas it's unclear whether or not this brand is in People would debate it. You know, somebody would go, they're not, you haven't really marketed that brand. And like, yes, you did. And whereas with going to college, it's like you did go to college or you didn't. So you need to have it be measurable. So then the next part, which you've also already done, is the situational analysis, which is the community analysis. And the way that it's called a SWAT analysis, <coughs> basically you're going to take your page-long community analysis and put it into the strategic plan and do it in this way where you're looking at what is reality internally for the organization so what are the strengths what are the things that we have going for us as an organization like we have an awesome board we have very talented people you know like the the resources the things that you have that are going for you the weaknesses what are the things that are holding us back like what are you know given our current reality here's we need to develop and grow like these are weaknesses of our organization and then externally is opportunities what are things in the external environment that are opportunities things that will help us so like we're next to iu 
Bloomington and we have tons of volunteers, potential volunteers amongst the student population. These are things in the external environment that are opportunities that could help us. And then what are threats? You know, a threat could be this is a really high crime area. And so if we want kids to come to the tutoring program, getting to the actual facilities will be a challenge because it's high crime and there's not good public transportation. And so that's a, something in the external environment that's a threat to the success of our organization. And so this SWAT process, most organizations do it in some form or fashion, but it's the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, and the threats. And you're going to apply that to your organization. So the first two are things within your organization, and then the second two are things in the external environment. But basically, you can adapt the stuff in your community analysis and put it into the situational analysis. And then number four is, is the critical mass. This one is just something you'll just need to sort of brainstorm and think through, but it's basically what people and resources do we have available to us. Like, so think about your organization and what people and resources are available, what additional people and resources do we need? So the critical mass is sort of what are all the things we're going to need human resource-wise and, you know, material resource-wise to accomplish our mission. And so you just need to think through, and again, some of this you might be, well, I don't know because our organization doesn't exist yet. You can fabricate things in this, or you can, you know, just think creatively. You could say, well, we don't have anything right now and we need all of this, or we actually have these things, like we have an office space that my friend has that they're gonna to give to us. So we have office space, but we need uh, internet, high-speed internet connection. We're really gonna need a, a good PR person to promote what we're doing. But basically, you're gonna be thinking through what are the people and resources that we have and what do we need to get in order to accomplish our mission. And then this part is probably the main chunk of the strategic plan, and these are your core strategies, and so this is, if you look at the sheet, it's the main part of the plan. All these other things are sort of the setup for the core strategies. And the core strategies, the way to think about it is, what are the general strategic categories for accomplishing our mission? So if you think about it, let's say we'll do music education program. Where's the music people? Okay, it's Priya, right? So if you think of doing music education, music tutoring, what are sort of the categories of strategies that you would need to accomplish your mission? And so it would be things like, we need music instruction, and we need musical instruments, <coughs> and we would need places to perform, to do the lessons, and we would need children or people that are going to participate. So thinking through all, like, sort of what are all the key components, and those are your core strategies. You need to do advertising or marketing, in a sense, to get people to come. You probably need funding of some sort. So thinking through like all the different moving parts to accomplish your mission. So the core strategies go on this part right here. So it'd be like, let's say, marketing, musical instruction, musical instruments. And then over here is all the little sort of micro strategies to accomplish those things. So we need musical instructors, so we're going to go to the Jacobs School and recruit people from the Jacobs School. We're going to set up an internship, an unpaid internship to be a, a music fellow for Priya for, you know, a semester or, you know, so you think through, you have your big strategy, 
areas and then what are the micro strategies to actually get the things that you need. So for musical instruments, we're gonna we're gonna go to local high schools and see if they have any old used instruments that they're no longer using that they want to donate. Or we're gonna go through the neighborhood and, and ask people to donate musical instruments. Those are all little micro strategies for the bigger strategy of getting musical instruments. So what you want to do in your, in your teams is think through, in order for our organization to accomplish its mission, here's sort of the big area category strategies that we need. And then you get into the little details of, you know, what are the little sub-strategies. So it's almost like bullet points of, oh, we could do this, or we could do this. And it's almost it's just brainstorming. Like, we need to do, you know, fund development is probably going to be a core strategy for all of your organizations. And then think about the multiple different ways you could do fund development and those are your little micro strategies and you're not necessarily going to do all those strategies but at least it gets you thinking you want to have like 10 strategies for fund development and then as a team you pick okay here's the three best and we're going to use these strategies and then the last two the resource release number six is when to deploy what like when are you actually going to implement this plan and then the last part is evaluate and the evaluate and refine is basically saying Every year we're going to evaluate our strategic plan, like once a year or once a quarter or whatever. So again, you just sort of come up with how often you're going to evaluate and refine it. And that's all you need to say is just have a plan where you write it down. Yeah, we evaluate this once a year, every September or something like that. That's all. And if you have questions related to putting this together that's specific to your organization, you can let me know.